Proactive Athletes is the premier place that empowers student athletes to overcome the challenges of college sports recruitment. Their unparalleled expertise and influential network will guide you towards realizing your fullest potential. At Proactive Athletes, they understand that each student athlete is unique, facing their own set of obstacles. That's why their dedicated team takes the time to comprehend your individual needs, providing a comprehensive hands-on approach tailored to your success. With their personalized attention and unwavering support, they ensure your satisfaction every step of the way. Through their vast network, they have successfully connected with over 2.3 million coaches, giving your child's profile the exposure it deserves. In fact, their student-athletes' profiles have been viewed by an astounding 716,000 coaches, solidifying their reputation as the go-to platform for recruitment. What sets them apart is their data-driven approach, allowing them to make informed decisions that result in better outcomes for their student-athletes. By harnessing the power of data, they maximize your child's chances of success as they embark on the next chapter of their athletic journey. Join the ranks of proactive athletes and unlock your true potential. Let them amplify your talent, connect you with coaches that want you but may not have known about you, and pave the way for your future success. Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off. And I was like, at that point, I knew, like, okay, I'm walking in. And I know this is, like, God is giving me the worst pain that I could ever imagine right now to understand what pain feels like and then understand how to push through it despite what I feel. Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life, from current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. So my guest this week is Les Feldman. Les is a guy um, that my son had uh, had kind of put me in touch with. And really it was like during the time that, you know, my son Elijah, he, he just got drafted um, by the Tennessee Titans, but uh, he was trying to figure out who he was going to work with or who he was going to train with to get ready for the combine. And so I had a couple of people in mind and, uh, and Elijah did his research and he said, dad, I want to go with this guy, check him out. I said, okay, man, all right, I'll check him out. And so I went online and, and just listened to him and watched him on social media and how he coached and how he interacted with his, with his athletes. And of course, like the knowledge that he was, was putting out there. And after watching about, I want to say maybe a minute or a minute and a half, I told him, I said, this is the dude. This is the mm-hmm. guy. You, he gets my stamp of approval. Um, I didn't even have a, a real like conversation with him, but I said he knows this stuff. And you know, he, the, um, the other, I guess, influencer was uh, 
Miles. Well, is it, is it Bryant? Yeah, Miles Bryant. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Miles Bryant, who who worked with Elijah at University of uh, Washington. They played together for three years. Yeah, three years, yep. and they have a great relationship. And and Les has a great you know relationship with Miles. So I was like, well, there you have it. And so, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm super glad that Elijah uh, chose Les and Les doesn't work with everybody. He does, <laughs> he does, he does, he has a small group of guys and um, I'm, I'm super appreciative that, you know, he's, he's coming on to the shark effect and, and sharing a little bit of his knowledge and, and um, you know, what else he, he brings to the world. So uh, Les, th- thank you very much, man, for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast, man. I agree. Yeah, thank you. Yes, thank indeed. You. Yes, indeed. So, so Les, uh, can you tell my my listeners a little bit about you? Yeah, outside of well, what I just said, for sure. Um, well, I, I never heard that story. Like, I didn't know it was that. Um, it's funny. Like, just to touch on that, I heard about Elijah through Miles, March 2020, and um, I, I texted Kyle Salmon, who's a sports scientist at University of Washington, and I was like, "Tell me about, tell me about Elijah," and he was like, "Oh, that's your guy." He's like, "That's the guy you want." Um, just to like touch on that, like his mentality and mindset and energy and relationships, everything to me um, in, in terms of having guys come to us just because, you know, I'm a little bit older now. I got a daughter. So like mm-hmm. I want to definitely protect my energy. So that was that was a cool story to hear. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in D.C. Um, I was a, a pretty mediocre athlete my entire life um, up until like 16. I was never even like. You know, I was barely, I think I barely made varsity my junior year on, you know, playing sports, like pretty average all around. And um, never thought I would end up coaching or being an, or even being an athlete. And uh, what sparked me was I got in an accident when I was 17 years old, a really bad car accident where I broke my femur in half and doctors oh, came goodness. in and doctors were like, hey, like we got to we got to prepare this with a metal rod. And when we put this rod in, you're not going to be able to walk without pain. Uh, probably ever and you're you're never going to be able to run again and for me it was like obviously like as I just said I wasn't like the best athlete but I was still active and I was still like still a little bit hungry and I was like you know what like I, I'm going to take this as motivation and I'm going to figure out a way to number one walk without pain and then number two I'm going to learn how to run um, so long story short it took me about six months to walk without pain which was way ahead of schedule no rehab um, nothing like I, I, I kind of just did it on my own. And then it took me about a year to be able to go upstairs without pain. And then 18 months before I could actually run. And um, so when I ran 18 months later, I from that point forward, um, for the next six months, I ran every single day. And like I was I was running more distance back then. So I would do like I was starting off with like a mile. I built up to the point where I could do 10 miles consistent almost every day. Um, oh, wow. and at that point I was like, you know, like my, my whole mentality was like, let me see how far I can take this. And I decided I was going to walk on to a division one track team. So I, I go in there. I remember, I remember like yesterday, like I walk into the coach's office and I was like, Hey, like, here's my story. I want to run track for you. And the coach, coach Mobley, uh, was like, Hey, like, <laughs> I love your story, but this is a division one track team and everybody's recruited and everybody post times to get on this team. Like you can't just walk into this team. And I was like, no, like you don't understand. I, I'm, I'm about to run for you. So this continued for like three or four days where I just came back to his office over and over again. 
Um, and eventually he was like, okay, look, I'm going to let you try out, but your tryout's going to be a four mile run and you're going to run with the cross country kids. I was like, I don't care. Just let me do it. And um, long story short, I came in last in, in the time trial and I was the absolute worst that, that was there that day. And uh, somehow coach saw my heart, saw my intention. and was like, you know what? I need this kid on my team. And, um, you know, from that point forward, like, you know, I started running track and, and got into, and, and, you know, running faster. So, you know, my college years were, were basically my struggle trying to figure out how to be fast. And I failed all, all three years. I never actually ran that fast. And I had an expectation going into college, being in Division One program, that they were going to teach us how to run. That They were going to, like, sit us down and, like, do biomechanics. But that never happened. They never – they don't – they don't teach running on a track team in college. They, they manage talent. And um, so what happened was I, I graduated college and I was still, you know, maybe like 10% better than when I had started, but you know, it was all good. And I was like, you know, I, I got to see what's next. I got to find out what's next. And I, I went out on a, on a journey to figure out how to teach speed and communicate speed to, to athletes of, of all sizes, shapes, sports, whatever. Um, to me, speed is universal, um, and I, I believe that it's one of the X factors that that produces great, great, great athletes in any sport, the ability to run fast. So I spent the next um, 10 years after college up until now redefining how to teach speed and, and, um, and classify speed. Mm. Man, that's a wonderful story, man. It, it's, it's, uh, it's something that you know, I look at it. When you said that they don't teach speed, I was like, man, he was so right. <laughs> he was so right. Like even at the, the strength and conditioning part, and uh, I was lucky being at the University of Oregon and being lucky, I, I want to say, uh, I don't know if it's luck, but when I, blew my, when I blew out my ACL, <laughs> I blew out my ACL, I got two screws in my knee, my, in my left knee. But because of that, I got a chance to work with Coach Rad. You already said Coach Radcliffe. And I got mm -hmm. a chance to work with him for five days a week, one hour a day for about six months. And he literally, he he walked, he taught me how to run. And yeah. that was the first time. And I ran track in high school and, and I was pretty fast. And but man, when he taught me how to walk, how to march, how to skip, and how to run. And it, and it was like, you know, the classic, you know, wax on, wax off. It was really slow and monotonous and boring, but I bought into it. Mm. And, and man, about, I want to say, I, I blew out my knee and I was running like a four, four, eight. And six months later, I ended up running. He, he, Coach Radcliffe allowed me to, he didn't want it, but I, I begged him enough. And I ended up running a four, five, oh six months after my surgery wow. now, but, and then I played and then I ended up running um, before my junior year in the spring. So I had a full like recovery period and I was, I ran a four, three, two. Wow. And, you know, I was stronger. I, I jumped higher, but all that stuff, coach radically gave me a foundation of speed and just yeah. hearing you talk. And, you know, I, you know, I spent some time with you. I know how you can get, you can you can dive in deep. You can get real nerdy on speed, yeah, and, and yeah. I love it. But it sounds like, man, you found that passion, 
when you was yeah. in college or even before that when you got hurt like I want to hear about that journey like kind of finding yourself and, and and really like finding a passion and then going all in yeah so like I mean when I met Elijah I just I saw he had that like fire and that focus and all that and truthfully when I was 16 15 years old I, I didn't have that like I I'd grown up most of my life up until like 14 was like very 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 regular like there was nothing like I didn't have a hard life like uh, pretty easy life you know like my dad worked somewhere and lived somewhere else but you know I had family like I had you know we had um a comfortable middle class life at 15 years old my mom remarried I moved to DC and at the time DC was like 2004 2005 uh, was a murder capital of the world and, and like I mean I, my mom, hopefully she doesn't listen to this, but like I saw a lot of things very, very, very fast mm-hmm. at a young age. And at first it was discour- discouraging and like it created anger. And that anger, I didn't know where to put it. So what I did was I, I found other angry people and just gravitated towards them. And then we just ended up getting into all types of trouble because none of us knew how to deal with our pain and the things we experienced and saw. And, you know, me coming from like a comfortable environment to like, a chaotic environment was was really tough for me at 14, 15 years old, plus, you know, living with a step family and all that. So not knowing at the time, like, you know, battling like anxiety, depression, anger, all these things, like I didn't understand and, and realize those things are like those those things are harmful. Like I, I thought I was normal and I should be priv- like I'm privileged and I should be lucky um, to be in the position I'm in. So when I got hurt, happened was I realized all this and I started to kind of like unravel my life and, and, and look at it from a 10,000 foot view because I almost died in this car accident like they they took me in a helicopter they, oh, they wow. nearly they nearly amputated my leg like I was losing blood like there was a lot that happened so after this traumatic experience I'm sitting there in my house and I'm in incredible pain like I mean breaking your femur is the worst pain and I've had a couple other breaks broke my ankle uh, collarbone but nothing nothing compares to breaking the femur in half because I ripped all the muscle tissue and everything and I remember my mom she's like look you're gonna you're gonna fight this and you're gonna do it without medication because most of the most of the people that have femur fractures and things like this like end up getting addicted somehow to to um the opioids and the, and the drugs because they're in so much pain you just start to use that as a crutch and I remember my mom taking the pills and dumping them out in front of me. And I was like, at that point, I knew, like, okay, I'm walking in. And I know this is, like, God is giving me the worst pain that I could ever imagine right now to understand what pain feels like and then understand how to push through it despite what I feel. And that was, like, kind of the beginning for me. So it gave me fire. It gave me, like, okay, like, I can take all this pain and I can actually channel it into something constructive. So for me, it was just many steps. And this is actually kind of how I coach. Like I coach in very, very, very basic, basic, basic steps to get to the end and only look one or two days. Like for the athlete, I'm only teaching them one or two days, you know, ahead. I'm like, hey, here's what's next. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying like, you know, like six months from now, I want you to do this drill and that drill and this drill. It's like, no, let's just focus on the moment. And that's how I took my my rehabilitation process. And what happened was I had an occupational therapist come one day and occupational therapists um, essentially like they help you you go to the bathroom and and shower I couldn't shower for five months because the shower I only have one shower upstairs so I, they would shower me like 
by using this um, disposable soap and I would do that and change and get help going to the bathroom. And it's embarrassing. And basically the occupational therapist is saying to me, our goal is to get you to be able to stand up on your own in six months. And I'm like, mm, no, that's not my timeline. That's not my timeline. I go to physical therapy the next week and they're like, our goal is to bend your leg 90 degrees in six months. I was like, no, 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 it's not my timeline. So what happened was I, I took all this pain and energy and, and stress and everything that I was feeling and I started to channel it into these micro goals. So goal number one is stand up. You know, goal number two is take a couple of steps. Goal number three is learn how to go to the bathroom by yourself. And eventually, like, I was able to, you know, walk to the front door, walk to the end of the block, walk around the block, and just incrementally, incrementally, incrementally. So I took that experience, you know, going from being bedridden, like not be able to not being able to get up, stand up, do anything to eventually being on a division one track team. And when I got to that division one track team, I was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna do the same process. And I did the same process and I kept doing it. So all the way through, you know, I'm 31 now and, and the accident was um, 14 years ago. So it's just been my, my life cycle, you know, how I deal with my daughter, how I deal with my relationships, everything is just the same cycle. And, you know, the channeling of the pain into production has kind of been like my secret weapon with everything. And, you know, I just lost a couple of family members over the pandemic. And, you know, it was away from my family for 20, for 20 months. And when I look back over the past 20 months, I look at the skill that I developed while I was rehabbing, which was turning my pain into production. And that's what I did over the past 20 months. And I had the most productive 20 months I've ever had in my life. Um, you know, from having a baby, launching a business, you know, um, having success with a draft, number one, two, and three picks, like, and, and all of that came from my pain into production. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how See, man, it's been for me. Yeah, man, that's a beautiful, I mean, that's a beautiful story, but I want people to understand like some of the best things, like you've heard my story about, you know, with my ACL, I never wanted any pity, right? But that gave me that creative relationship with somebody who I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't want a relationship with Coach Rack. I didn't think so. But mm -hmm. I got a chance to be with this. And Coach Radcliffe, James Radcliffe is a world-renowned plyometric speed um, guru. Like he goes all over the planet. Yeah. And I got a chance to spend that time with him because of an injury that I sustained. So yeah. beautiful things can come from pain. Yeah. And um, so, so talking about that, you know, with your business, I mean, you're the, you're the speed guy for, you know, for, for a lot of athletes, not just football players, but how did that start? Like you got inquisitive, right? You start asking questions and trying to figure things out. How can you make guys faster, you know, starting with yourself? How did that look? Did you read books? Did you get on the internet? Did you have a, a relationship with the coach and then he connected you with somebody else? How did that start? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my mind, I felt like I was going through everything because God wanted me to be an athlete. Like that's what I, that's what I believed. I believe that God wanted me to be an Olympic athlete or go to the NFL or whatever, just get as far as I can physically. And not knowing at the time what God, what God was actually doing was he was taking me through all these trials to learn so that I could eventually teach someone else. 
And, you know, in, in the moment, like when I'm in college, I'm like, why am I not producing? Why am I not faster? Why am I not this? And the struggle is what, what taught me. So I would say the first half of my like understanding of speed came from my own experience. And then when I set out and I was like, you know what, I want to dive headfirst into coaching and I want to own that. And I want to be the best coach I can be at that point. Like, I wasn't really reading a ton. I wasn't really studying a ton. I was just spending time with the people that I thought were the best. And I happened to be around the Olympic training center. Cause I, I played rugby and ended up at the Olympic training center a couple of times, met a couple of people and ended up spending time with the biomechanists at the Olympic training center and some of the track coaches and not knowing at the time who, who these people were like, and I later found out the people that I was spending time with have written like all the research and books on, speed development training for, you know, for the past 20 years, um, wow. you know, Ralph Mann, Dan Path, Jeremy Fisher, some of the best coaches in the world. And I'm just like hanging by them. So what I, my process was pretty simple. So I'd watch and observe, and then I would go do what I watched and observe myself. I would feel it, understand it. And then I would try to teach it to someone else that same day. So I was working with youth athletes, like really young athletes. And um, I would try to, you know, I'll go through that process of learning, you know, teaching myself and then teaching someone else. So every single day I'm stepping up like a couple levels. But then what happened was I realized like I was extremely dependent on, um, you know, their time. And, and obviously as a coach, like now that I'm a coach, you know, full time, I realized like coaches don't have time to like spend time with you and teach you everything. So what I started to do is say to the coach, like when I met them, hey, what books did you read and how did you get to the level you're at? And I would get their book list and I would go buy one or two books. And I started reading and I realized like, you know, reading is like, was like meditation for me. And I loved it. Ended up, ended up reading like four hours a day for, you know, I still would probably do it at least two um, for 10 years, almost every wow. single day. So reading research, reading books, and sometimes they were training books. Sometimes they weren't. And, you know, from that experience as an athlete, then that experience shadowing coaches and that experience um, reading, it helped me kind of define where I, where I was going to put my focus and energy into. When I looked at the entire market for sports performance, I saw really, really, really good strength coaches that were PhDs and they were incredible and they could coach strength like nothing else. I wasn't that. And then I saw conditioning coaches that had the best aerobic conditioning plans and heart rate zones and all that. And I wasn't that. And then I saw skill coaches like DB coaches, wide receiver coaches that were, had a skill set that I would never have. So when I looked at the entire market, I looked at where are the gaps in the market and where's my knowledge. So what I saw was a, a massive gap in speed because what most people thought was speed was something that looked like track and, or something that looked like a little bit of conditioning. It wasn't really defined and there was no, you know, at the time there wasn't really PhDs that like did sprint training and research and all that stuff. There's a, I mean, there was a couple, but not to like the public eye. So I realized with my skill set, my power, what I understood and what I was actually good at teaching was in that niche, but that niche didn't exist as a, as a business lane outside of college. So like Coach Radcliffe, best in the world at University of Oregon had speed school, um, you know, our teams would hire like these track people to come in and teach speed, but there wasn't like a private industry really for just speed development. Like you had some people teaching speed. So it was a big risk and everyone thought I was like crazy because they were like, well, you can't teach speed. You know, running is either have it or you don't. Yeah. Genetics. Um, yeah. 
genetics, you know, and I, I was hearing a lot of feedback about how I shouldn't spend my time in that niche, in that lane. And to me, it was noise because I realized like that's the only thing I'm actually very, very, very good at. And it's what God's telling me and pushing me to do. So I need to spend more time there. And first three, four, five years, five years, I, I didn't, I didn't make a profit. I didn't make any money. I slept in my car outside of Walmart. I used to get oatmeal packets from hotels and eat that um, throughout the day, drink protein shakes, like eat peanut butter and jelly. Like I was homeless and I did not care, to be honest. Like I got an internship working for the U.S. Olympic team, which turned into a job, which turned into me working with five Olympic teams. And I worked with five Olympic teams and I slept in my car. So, you know, the, the process for me going from athlete to, you know, student to coach was like, at the time, it would just seemed like it was what I, what was in front of me. And I would just try to do the best I could with what was in front of me. And now like looking up like 10 years later, it's like, I have a, I have a business based around that initial idea. Mm, I love that. Now I'm looking, so I'm taking notes here and I'm, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that you would have still been, been able to do those things like that, sleep in your car, eating, you know, oatmeal packets, doing all that stuff without earning that pain tolerance from when you broke your, your femur. Yeah, no Do way. you still think, or was it because you, you've dealt through pain, physical, emotional, and then when you found your passion, and even though the, the finances didn't come just yet, when you sleep in your car, did that, did that correlate or did that kind of give you a foundation in your mind? Like, man, I can handle this. Yeah, 100%. Like, how, how, if I didn't go through what I went through when I was 17, there's no way. Like, I was – I had no idea how to manage, like, my emotions and my mindset when I was younger. And then as I got older, like – I, I, I chose to sleep in my car because um, I knew it was the cheapest option. I know I had to build money up to, you know, rent stuff and get insurance and buy equipment and all this. So I would just, you know, keep building what I had. And, and I think like one of the lessons that I learned from that was the, the pain that I experienced at 17 comes in a ton of forms throughout your life. And it's never, it's to me, it's never going to be as bad as fracturing my femur, but you, when you want to actually capture something and manifest something, you have to put yourself back into some of those painful and uncomfortable times, but controlled. So I knew like me sleeping in my car was a catalyst to my success at the time because me being this uncomfortable and, and not feeling like super easy about where I was going and feeling like I had to, I had to almost like pick my pace up, pushed me to read more. It pushed me to not drink. It pushed me to not go out. It pushed me not to smoke. It pushed me not to hang around bad people. It it's here, finally. My book, The Ultimate Playbook for Higher Achievement. You can get it on Amazon in the uh, paper paperback version, or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in intentionally created for is for those who are looking tr to transition, what, whether you was an athlete, or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to transition into something different, this book can help you. 
I break it down. I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making, that can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there that really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment, and adjustment. Um, recognizing the power of your environments is a chapter. Developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times, but how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you, okay? And then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just, not just athletes. Now, there's some stories in there, you know, that covers topics that, that resonate with athletes. But I think overall, this book can help um, anyone who is looking to transition into becoming successful in something new, something different. OK, so make sure check it out. Amazon, the ultimate playbook for high achievement. Push me just to be all in and I it's very, very, very hard to be all in and comfortable at the same time. Like those two things don't correlate. So it, um, it was super, it was incredibly helpful and a catalyst. And I, I would do it again if I didn't have a daughter. <laughs> so, <laughs> Man, that is such a powerful statement that you just said. That is so powerful to be able to, um, you know, where, where comfort lies, there's a lot of things that, that don't come or that won't push you to where you need to go. So, I mean, it's not like you understanding, like being uncomfortable is where the, is where the diamonds are. Right, definitely. That's definitely. something, that's powerful. So, okay, so, so tell me, so when you started going down this road, you know, sleeping in your car and whatnot, like, and then, you know, how did you jump from there to now you're training world-class first not just first round or not, i shouldn't say not just nfl but and draft picks but first round like first top top five draft picks how did that how did you go from there to where you're at now yeah so i mean luck is preparation and opportunity so for me i realized early like in order to, for me to be lucky i have to be over prepared and i have to understand all the situations based around what, what I was looking to teach. And what I, what I ended up doing is I, I told you about the internship I took with the Olympic committee. So I ended up turning that into, into work. And what I was doing for the Olympic committee was I was working with USA rugby mainly, and I was teaching them speed. And at the time USA rugby was I think 13th or 14th in the world out of 15 teams. So very, very poor. And they qualified for the Olympics. And USA Rugby was trying to make a push to, to perform well in the Olympics. So long story short, USA Rugby went from one of the last in the world to number one in the world, which I wow. can't take credit. I can't take full credit for it. Coaching staff's amazing. Players were amazing. But what happened was that was a little bit of momentum. So it was a little bit of luck. I was prepared and had the opportunity to work with a team that ended up being really well and doing really well. Um, and there were some fast players. And I learned a ton because it was high pressure building Olymp Olympic plans and cycles and all that is very high pressure. Um, you can't really make mistakes. You got to like learn on the fly. So that was huge. Um, but then like 
me being a coach, I didn't understand how to turn that into, into a financial model. I just knew how to coach and, and be and, and, and give and, and do service, but I didn't know how to receive. So what happened was after the Olympic stuff was over, you know, I barely made any money from it. I hadn't really progressed financially or anything else. And I was looking for other ways that I could add value in other arenas where there was more of a financial model. And to me, that was the NFL. So I ended up meeting a guy, George Whitfield, who's, uh, you know, he's a Nike oh, guy. And, yeah. Quarterback, yeah. quarterback guru. Quarterback, quarterback. guru. Yeah. Yep. yeah okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, at the time he was training Johnny Manziel and uh, Ryan Flaherty was like his speed coach and all that. And uh, I'm sure, you know, Ryan. Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And um, so what I started to do was just kind of like hang around and just learn and just see how they operate and see how they do things and, and all of that. And, you know, literally just providing value, you know, grab some water here and there and just, just be around. Um, and then the next year was, I believe, Jameis Winston. So same thing, just come around. So eventually George comes to me and he's like, Hey, like you're here, you are like, you come around, you know, you catch the ball for us sometimes you, you provide value. Like what, what do you do for work? Like, what do you, what do you do? And I was like, well, George, like, I'm, I'm actually an Olympic speed coach and I train Olympic teams. And the first thing he said to me, I'll never forget this. He was like, why wasn't that the first thing out of your mouth when you met me? <laughs> and I was like, but, but I didn't, I had no business sense. Like, I, I didn't know how to make money or nothing. And I was like, I didn't want to bother you. He's like, bother me. He's like, that's, I'm, I need that service. Like that's a service that, that is needed. You have experience. I could go to agents and say, I have an Olympic speed coach with me and you know, like we could, we could get guys together. So long story short, George was like, look, Les, like I'm going to send you a couple guys. I'm going to ask their feedback. And if it goes well, then I'm going to send you more guys. I was like, cool. He sent me a division three kid. Like, I mean, he, he was extremely average and he was trying <laughs> extremely. to, he was extremely average. <laughs> and I, I put in the most intense work into studying him and learning him, making him faster. So anyway, the kid dropped from like four, eight to four or five. Um, ended wow. up playing in, in the CFL and, you know, George was like, okay, cool. I'm gonna send you another guy. So this process was like six months of, of George just kind of learning me, asking feedback. Guys were like, yo, I love working out with Les. Like I got better, but also like we have a great relationship. And some of these guys, which I'll talk about later, like these original guys, some of these guys are investors in my business now. So it's kind of funny, but at the time, like I was, I was building. So the next year comes and Dakota Prukop, uh, who's the, the quarterback at university of Oregon was like trying to find somewhere to train. And George Whitfield was like, Hey, like, you know, I know you Dakota, like come train with me. And I have this speed guy who has Spellman. and Dakota's like, ah, I don't know. He's, you know, he's only, I was only a couple years older than him. And I was like okay. three years older, two or three years older than Dakota. Um, no experience, never done NFL training, nothing. And, uh, and George is like, selling me like, oh he's an olympic speed coach so dakota's like let me talk to my agent his agent's like i've never heard of this last guy and i've been around the industry forever um yeah i don't know if that's the right move you know you can go you can go to exos you can go here you can go anywhere else but like i don't i don't know if this last Spellman guy is going to be the right guy because you know performance is a big part of this combine process and you have to run a fast 40 and all this and, and dakota came down he met me he worked out and he's like i'm going with less and I was like, really? Like, I was like shocked. Like, dang, really? You're going to, okay. Like, and I was so nervous. Um, 
I went and I, I studied everything I could study to, to provide value. So I got a stretch therapy certification. I, I studied a bunch of strength techniques. I studied more speed techniques. Like I went crazy in, until Dakota came. And when Dakota came in January, um, you know, we hit the ground running. So that was my first guy that I trained for the NFL. And actually he was the first guy to invest in my business. So long story, but, um, wow, that's cool. <laughs> so I had one guy, one guy, that one guy turned he, Dakota brought another kid from Oregon, uh, Johnny and Johnny ended up going to the Rams. So now I have my first NFL guy. Johnny told a couple more people. So anyway, I went from one guy to two guys to 18 guys. And then I went to 28 guys and then I went to 30. So I started building every year. Um, you know, from there. And, and really all it was, was the same process of like being super prepared when the opportunity came and, um, and, and providing as much service as I could, like literally relationship wise, like every, in every single way. Um, and I ended up, you know, ended up at Mamba Sports Academy where I had my first top three pick with Quinn and Williams. Um, you know, we had another first rounder. We had you know, we had guys get drafted, like high level guys. The next year, um, ended up getting Joe Burrow. And then this year, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. So, it, I mean, it's been a, it's been an incredible ride, but I started 2017. So 2017, 18, 19, 20, now 21. So this is like all new to me still. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy how, how things work. That's crazy, man. And you know what? You talked on some foundational principles. You know, when you're talking about acts of service, right? Pro uh, providing value, like the knowledge, um, you know, reading, reading books um, two to four hours a day, um, being overprepared. And then, you know, the last part is the relationships and the connection. That was the biggest thing for me, when Elijah, every time he, you know, we talked and we talked about you, it was the connection. And those are all founda foundational principles that, you know, that's requires people, when you, when you have these things, you're more, more apt for people to follow you. You know what I'm saying? Cause I, you know, yeah. I, I speak on, I, I speak and I coach on leadership and just listening to you, man, these are some foundational principles that you, you know, you provided some great examples of that. I uh, appreciate that. Yes, appreciate indeed. that. Yes, indeed. Um, so, man, tell me a little bit, like, because now, right, you, you're, you know, you told us, you know, the guys, you know, how you got there. But I want you to touch on a little bit because your content, uh, you know, your team is awesome. And, Thank you. And, and, you know, every every piece of work that you put out there, is it's beautiful i mean it's a story it tells a story it gives great um just uh i mean it's beautiful so you know can you tell me a little bit about you know how you put out information out to the you know out to the world yeah yeah um i appreciate that that's super humbling it's it's definitely difficult at times and i i go back and forth if i like it but um Actually, so like to touch on the, the point you just said, so everything was about providing value. So like when I didn't have experience and I wasn't very good, the value came in having a very strong relationship and making things very personal and family-like. 
as I progressed, like coaching wise, like that's, that's nearly impossible as numbers double and triple and quadruple. Now you can't have a relationship that deep with every guy. So what happened was I realized the value had to come in something bigger and the value had to come in technology and it had to come in tracking. That's what I believe was data. And at the time I didn't understand um, how to make that happen, but I just kind of went down that pathway. And when I went down that pathway, I started discovering things and learning how to scale and, and get data and, and get guys their data back. And that, that ended up becoming the value. So when we're launching the business, my, my investor, Todd, who's my you know, business partner, great friend, like he's amazing. He's like, you don't want to be in the training business. You want to be in the technology business and you want to be able to, to understand data and manipulate that data very simply back to your consumer. And in order to, for your consumer to understand, you have to educate. So you can't just go in the marketplace and just say, I have this new technology, this new project, and everybody buys it. it you know, that's not how it works. Like you, you have to spend a ton of time educating your consumer on what your product is, why it's important, and how to use it. So that's how we, we have a, a business called Universal Speed Rating, which is coming out over the next couple of weeks. That's based around data and technology. And our goal was before that, before that launch, is to put out as much content and value for free as possible. So there's a model like, you know, when I was coming up and, and learning speed, I bought all the DVDs, I bought all the books. It's a, it was a business model. It's, teaching was a business model. But as we as we've progressed, like with technology in, in terms of like Instagram and iPhones and all that, it, data and, and technology and content is so available to everyone. Like the YouTube model, the Instagram model, the Twitter model, like all the all this is information and it's it's really free marketing. And our goal was to give the customer as much value as possible before we ask people to buy. And, you know, if you look at like what we're putting out right now, it's, to me, it's really basic stuff like drills and how to get faster. And our goal is like, we want people to go home, try these drills, get faster and only watch a 15 to 30 second clip. Like when I was at, um, I went to a couple of schools, I was at university of Oregon, uh, Liberty and a couple of schools last week. And, I, I asked coaches and I said, Hey, like, well, you know, what's the most valuable for you as a coach? Like, and they're like, Oh, the TikTok video, the um, Instagram video. And these are 15 second videos. So our goal was to be able to pack content that was valuable, that gave people like practical things they can do and things they can understand so that they can go home, get faster or try it on their team, you know, and, and, and build, build their speed. And then as, you know, as a business, obviously that's not a business model. Like you're not going to make money from that directly, but indirectly our goal is to the universal speed rating is for every single athlete that plays a sport to know their speed. And when we say know your speed, it's not run a 40 yard dash because 40 yard dash is non-specific to most sports outside of football. It's not even that. Specific not even in football. football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not even that specific to football. So what we did is we defined the metrics that actually do matter for speed, which is, what is your velocity? How high can you, how high of a velocity can you run? How fast can you run? And then how, how do you get there? So that's your acceleration. So we, we found a way to measure that acceleration, measure that velocity, put it into a single number that's ranked out of a hundred and, you know, worldwide athletes can see where they, where they rank on that score. And the way that we do it is we capture it through a GPS unit, 
which is um you know it tracks essentially where it's think of like your car gps unit but that only tracks one data point per second ours tracks 10 to 100 data points per second um so our goal was to get that out in the marketplace it's a very disruptive a very um you know confusing product to most consumers because it's it, it's not out there in the world our goal was to educate and get as much content and build a team so build first step in building a team is finding somebody that can shoot video. So I, I reached out to USC. I found a uh, videographer that was playing lacrosse at the time. And I offered her a, a job, but I told her, I said, I can't pay you anything. <laughs> so it was more of an internship. Okay. And for some reason she said, yes. And, um, you know, we've been rocking ever since. So she films almost all my content. We hired um, this, this guy, Drew Zwires, who's incredible. He's like our head of marketing and he comes up with all these crazy ideas of what to do and how to do it and how to organize it, which is incredible. We hired an editor that, that edits everything for us. Um, we have another shooter now in uh, San Diego. It's like a team of four or five people now um, on a daily basis. And it's, it's insane. So it's, it's grown way past what I could have ever imagined, but um, wow. I love it. No, it's, it's beautiful, man. And I get, I mean, I follow you of course, but I mean, I get, uh, I get quick tips and, and nuggets from you like every time. And it's only like maybe, like you said, about 30 seconds to a minute that I'm locked, you know, that I'm watching. I was like, oh, man, that was so much, you know, it's just jam packed full of full of information. And, no. and, and speaking of information, man, can you give me just my listeners, you know, my, you know, my young athletes, whether it's in high school or college, what are like three tips for, for speed that you can be able to just briefly touch on? Yeah, I would say the, when I go, when I go places, you know, I'm in front of kids, like sometimes I'm in front of a hundred kids and I say, when's the last time you went out and sprinted as hard as you can, like full out. And I'll say, raise your hand. And typically it's about 5%. Like if I'm in a group of a hundred, maybe five kids say, Hey, I went outside and ran as fast as I could today. So that's one bucket is stimulus. Most people don't have enough stimulus to run fast because they don't go out and sprint maximally. The, the human body, it, the way that it works, it works on, you know, cycles. Like we have hormonal cycles. We have all these cycles that are circadian rhythms. We need a vaccine of speed at least one time a week. So once every seven days, you should be running as fast as you can. I don't care how you do it. You go out, you run three or four reps fast. As you can, that's going to get you faster. Hands down. Now, there's a cap to that because once you fill that bucket and you go out and you sprint and you have that vaccine, you have that stimulus, your body becomes accustomed to it and says, okay, cool. Like I've, I've gone from, you know, 18 to 20 miles per hour now and, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable there. So I'm going to, I'm going to stay there. And the body, what will happen is you'll have massive increase in the beginning and they'll just level off and you won't get faster. So now we have to look at what are the other buckets to getting faster? And the next bucket is, is physical. So you physically have to be strong enough, have enough power to run fast. And that's what Coach Rad became famous for, is plyometrics. There's other ways like strength. There's other ways like, I mean, there's a million different ways to get to, you know, an average high speed. There's only a few ways to get to a very, very, very high speed. So what I mean by that is like, if you, uh, if you have a toothpaste bottle and you buy it and it's brand new and anywhere you press on it, toothpaste is going to come out. But eventually after you use it for like a couple months, you have to twist it and turn it and get, you know, find the little crevices just to get a little bit out, squeeze it out. And that's the human body. So when you first start, you, 
you do anything, you get stronger, you, you know, you, you get in the weight room, you're going to get faster, right? That's a physical bucket. But then what happens is the body becomes accustomed to that strength and says, okay, I'm, I'm strong enough to run fast, but I'm still not faster. And that's where you have to get more specific. And that's why what we do is we teach acceleration by loading resisted runs. So heavy, heavy sleds, hills, anything that's going to produce more power that's horizontal and not vertical. So vertical is like squats, deadlifts, cleans, all those things. Those are all vertical strength and power drills. Once you've filled that bucket, you need to produce horizontal power. So sleds, hills. I mean, people hit me all the time and say, I don't have a, I don't have a sled. I said, do you have a hill? You're like, no, I don't have a hill. I'm like, go to a parking garage and run up the ramp. There's a, there's a hill somewhere. <laughs> there's a hill somewhere. So that's, that's the physical bucket. And then the third piece, which is a piece that most people think is speed training is a technical aspect. So when I say speed training to most people, they envision me coaching them technically on how to get faster, but that's not always what it is. Cause usually it's those first two. Are you sprinting at least one time a week? And are you developing your physical qualities? And then, you know, if you feel those two, then now we can say, okay, technical is going to help. But what most people think is like, oh, if I just fix my technique, I'm going to run faster. Well, that's not true because running faster is about how you impact the ground and how hard you impact the ground. And if you can't impact the ground hard, which is physical, then you're not going to run fast. I don't care how good your technique is. And that was the most mistake. That was the biggest mistake I made as a coach is doing everything technical, front centered technical in the beginning without looking at the other two aspects. So the technique is the most complex. You do need a coach mostly. You need an eye. You have to understand it. But the ben- you know, the truth is to me, I think technical is only maybe 20, 30% of the whole picture. So anybody in the world can get faster. That doesn't mean anyone in the world is going to be Olympic fast, but anyone can get faster. And if you feel that the, the physical and the stimulus side, you can start looking at that technical. So, and, and the last point I'll say on this is like, there's 150 different ways you can get to 20 miles per hour. And I, and I say that because my high school average, like my elite guys is, a, is above 20 miles per hour. I, I can get pretty much any kid that, you know, can be like at least the JV level in, in sports. I can get them to 20 miles per hour confidently, anybody, but there's only about, two to three ways to get to 22 miles per hour. And the, that when I say two to three ways, I mean, you have to be technically sound. You have to have enough stimulus and you have to be, you have to be physically strong enough. And the technical model for 22 miles per hour looks pretty similar across the board. So I look at all my athletes that are 22 miles per hour. I have over 25 of them. All of them look very similar in their first seven, eight steps. All of them. You can't, you can't change the model. So, but most people going back to what I was saying is they haven't done the prerequisites, get stronger. Man, that's, man, that's, that's golden right there. That's golden. Les, how can my listeners get uh, more of you? You know, can you drop your, you know, your website, any, any uh, trainings or courses um, or anything like that? Can you, can you share that with my audience? Yeah, there's like a million different ways, which is, um, <laughs> which is awesome. And it's, it's <laughs> but uh, it can be confusing. So I, I think right now the, the forefront of it is the universal speed rating.com. That'll be released in the next, it, it's out now, but it's a, it's like essentially a landing page, but over the next couple of weeks, 
you'll see a lot of content coming from the universal speed rating. That's going to be the house of everything. So you'll see um, all the rankings. World, we have worldwide rankings. We have age group rankings. We have, you know, location rankings, everything. Um, on there, on that site, you'll see our, um, our blog. You'll see our YouTube channel. There's a link to our YouTube channel, which has a ton of content. Um, you'll see a link, link to something called Speed Pillars, which is built for coaches and athletes that, you know, want to learn more. But really what it is, it, it's the why behind what we're doing. So it's, it's why do we teach the way we teach? And then what's the research say behind it? Um, it's a really easy course to go through. It's like three, four hours. Um, it's very simple. It's very practical. Um, I've had a couple colleges actually take that speed pillars program and, and put it into their colleges and, and been successful. So that's, that's built for coaches. Then we have a program called speed code, which is built for athletes. Um, PJ, who's a incredible basketball trainer works with James, James Harden and all that. We teamed up and we created a, um, program called speed code and it's 12 weeks of speed training. And it's like the most comprehensive training, uh, program I've ever put out. So there's that. And then Social links are Spellman Performance and Universal Speed Rating. Um, Twitter is less seven Spellman. Uh, and I think I covered all the bases. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> no, 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 let's go, man. I'm going to have all this in my show notes. So, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, man. Well, man, that's, man, it's been a pleasure having you on the Shark Effect, man. Um, I mean, you, you dropped uh, a ton of, um, a ton of nuggets, man. Um, and, and I'm going to give you a, you know, a, a chance to really like scrape the plate. Can you, can you let my audience know, like what makes you an high achiever? Mm. Um, yeah. So I think like, I had to ask myself, I wrote this down as a question, actually. Um, I think I'm relentless. And what I mean by that is like, when you, when you set out on a path, when you're, you know, you naively think it's going to be a linear path. Like if I'm climbing a mountain, it's like, Oh, there's a direct path to that mountain. And it's really hard to see from the bottom, all the pitfalls and rivers and valleys and all these things you're going to, you're going to experience on the way up. And I think what relentless means to me is like you maintain the same character and the same mindset, no matter what happens on the outside. So good, bad, you know, difficult, stressed, like how do you react to those things? And that's going to determine your path and how fast you get to that goal. Um, and that's been, you know, something I learned from, from that accident and what I went through, but that's been my like secret sauce and my cheat code um, to continue to perform at a high level. And it's, it's hard because you have expectations you set for yourself and then other people have expectations of what you know they think you should progress at the level you progress but staying really hyper focused on your own pace and taking your time to really do things correctly and right way the first time takes like a relentless mindset because other people think you should be a hundred millionaire and it's like that's not a it's not realistic you know like i'm at where i'm at right now and i'm i'm happy about it so yeah that that would be my thing man you can drop the mic right there <laughs> man Les, hey thank you very much man for being my guest man on the on the shark effect i look forward to to talking with you again my man i appreciate it thank you thanks for listening to this week's episode of the shark effect podcast 
If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening.